everyone. I'm your co-host Rebecca. And I'm your co-host Rach. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Winter Solstice, Part 2, Avatar Roku. Aang must travel to a temple in the Fire Nation before the Winter Solstice in order to speak to the spirit of Roku, the previous Avatar. His journey is complicated by having to deal with Prince Zuko, Commander Zhao, and the Fire Sages who guard it. We're not doing a dun-dun-dun right now because we're saving it for later. (laughs) Yeah, there's some pretty dun-dun-dun moments in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there are some some big uh, revelations for sure. Okay, so uh, what did you learn in this episode? Aang learned a lot in this episode, but what did you learn, Rach? He did. (laughs) I learned that the fire sages are not very intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you'd think that they would, you know, have a little bit more wisdom because of their job, but... And their name. Right, they're sages, but... I feel like everybody underestimates Aang, (laughs) so... (laughs) And Katara and Sokka as well, because they're just kids. So they probably think they're better than them, but they need to maybe not be so ageist. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. (laughs) All right, what did you learn? I learned that no matter what, your friends always have your back. Oh, that's really cute. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that that phrase kept coming out. It came up twice, I think, in this episode. And it also, it made me smile because it reminded me of Lost, actually, uh, which I know I bring up a lot for a podcast that is not even remotely (laughs) about Lost, but there's a couple in Lost, uh, my favorite couple, Sawyer and Juliet, and that is something that they say to each other, I've got your back, (laughs) who's going to get my back? So I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, that is cute. Well, this week we are trying something new. (laughs) We're going to play a game called Rebecca Tries to Guess Which Random Thing Will Come Back. (laughs) The title is a work in progress. (laughs) Maybe we can come up with something better. (laughs) So I was on the fence between two things this week that I thought could be a random thing that could come back. So I was trying to decide between these two things. I'm ultimately going to go with Momo wearing a Fire Nation hat or a hat (laughs) of some kind. Is that something that comes back, Rach? Momo is a a lemur of many hats. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not entirely sure if the Fire Sage hat comes back, but Momo has a thing for hats now that you mention it, so... (laughs) That's something fun to look out for in the future. Okay, I will definitely look out for Momo's hats. <laughs> he looked very cute in this one. Momo is really adorable in this episode. I liked him a lot. Oh yeah, he had some really good funny moments, which um, we'll talk about uh, I think, <laughs> as we go through. So to get us started, one thing that I wanted to bring up is that... So my episode, for some reason... It showed me the, uh, previously on Avatar. Oh, okay. It showed me, so it showed this little recap, and then I noticed in the episode, Aang kind of also gave a recap of what happened in the last episode, or what he needs to do. (laughs) So I was just wondering if the episodes, if you remembered, if the episodes actually aired with a previously on Avatar or not? Yes, they did. I think there's only a couple that don't have the 
previously on Avatar thing going on, but I think the majority of them did, which is kind of funny because they're only like 20 minute episodes. <laughs> but I guess if it's a kid's show, they're trying to remind the kids of what happened in the last episode. Yeah, that's true. And maybe that's why they have Aang say the same thing again as well, because it's just like another reminder. Yeah. It just struck me because it was maybe a little clunky, the way that he was like, but I need to go to the island before the solstice. And it's like, yes, we know, Aang. <laughs> yeah, I think that that definitely is like an instance where you see that it's geared towards children sort of thing. Which is fair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am not knocking uh, this show for being geared towards children, but it just struck <laughs> me as an adult watching it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we open with pretty much exactly where we left off, right? Yes. And immediately we're hit with another instance of Aang being like, I need to go and do this by myself. I think he's kind of traumatized from what happened to Sokka in the last episode. <laughs> he's like, oh God, like, I don't want that kind of instance to happen again where one of his friends is getting hurt because of of what he did but he didn't really seem to learn the lesson that they were trying to hammer into him like dude you can't do this alone <laughs> right and as we talked about you know progress is not a linear journey right yeah it's the kind of thing where you have to sometimes take a couple of steps back and then go forward again, so. Mm -hmm, definitely. I think it's frustrating when characters get caught up in the same cycle over and over and over again, but I do still think that it's good to have a journey that shows those kind of ups and downs. Yeah, I agree. I like that Avatar does that a lot, and the character arcs aren't just, <laughs> like you said, linear. They they're a little bit of a roller coaster, which it's really realistic and I enjoy that. Thankfully, Sokka and Katara do manage to convince him. Yeah, there was a line at the beginning that Katara said that really hit me. <laughs> she said, The world can't afford to lose you to the Fire Nation. Neither can I. Oh, Katara. <laughs> it just shows, you know, how much loss she's had so far and she doesn't want to lose her best friend and that really hit me in the heart. <laughs> Aww, I think it also shows how much their relationship has developed, even though it hasn't been that long, I guess, since she found Aang in, mm -hmm. the, in the iceberg. But they've been traveling together for quite a while, and we've had, you know, episodes like the Southern Air Temple, where you got to see how they were really forming a, a found family. And I think that this is just another indication of how close they've gotten to each other. Yeah, definitely. Including Appa. Appa is also yes. <laughs> a member of the family. I really like that they are fleshing out Appa as a character more. And that, that might seem like a weird thing to say about an animal, but I do think that they really highlight how much the pets are part of the family, like you said, and how relevant they are to the story. And Appa was really great in this episode, how he was like, Aang, I'm not gonna fly off without Katara and Sokka. <laughs> he wants to keep the gang together. He does. <laughs> yeah, I really like that too. And I think it's hard with any um, 
animal in a show like this because they don't talk, right? Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes it can be hard to convey their personalities a little bit without dialogue. But they did a really good job here, and they they kind of used some sort of dog body language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I think is helpful because we're familiar with that as humans, so it helps us to understand what Appa is trying to communicate. Except Appa's licks are like full body licks because his tongue is like five feet long. <laughs> well, I have to say it is weird for me because I have a little dog. So when he licks me, it's one thing. And then sometimes I meet bigger dogs and they lick me. It's like they're licking your whole face. <laughs> so you felt a little bit of like what Sokka was experiencing. <laughs> a little bit. I don't mind it, though. I once had a, a, golden re- a giant golden retriever lick my whole face. And I Aww. said, thank you. <laughs> and there was somebody nearby who was just like, wow, I can't believe you said thank you for that dog just licking your entire face. <laughs> Well, it's just, it's really sweet to me, like, even if it is a little (laughs) not the most sanitary and kind of grosses you out a little bit, it's still really sweet and a demonstration of their love to you, so. (laughs) That's how I see it. I see it as just a demonstration of affection, so. (laughs) Hopefully Sokka understood that as well. Minor spoiler, but there is a part in the future where Sokka, like, just climbs into Appa's mouth, so he gets used to. Oh my gosh. It's definitely one of the best moments in the show. It cracks me up every time. (laughs) That's great. I love that. So they head off after uh, Appa is determined not to leave behind Katara and Sokka. (laughs) We catch up with Zuko and Iroh and the Fire Nation. So this episode, I think the stories were much more intertwined, um, even compared to the previous episode, which had a little bit of that, but here it was very much kind of cutting between the two. Yeah, the characters interacted a lot more than they did before. And, you know, we have some similar themes popping up, I think, from our previous episodes, like Iroh always being right. Yeah, Zuko really wants to give his father the benefit of the doubt and... I'm not entirely sure why. (laughs) I think he's just clinging to this idealized version of his father, almost like what the propaganda of the Fire Nation teaches their children. He's like this great ruler, so everybody should look up to him. But I think Iroh sees through that and is like, well, if you mess up, your father's not going to spare you any kind of grace, Zuko. I think that I can understand why Zuko might feel that way, because I think when it's your parent, it can be very hard sometimes to let go of that need to gain approval from them, and also to let go of the idea of them as a person who can do no wrong. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when we grow up, obviously it depends on your family circumstances, but A lot of people, when they grow up, they see their parents as being pretty much flawless. And then as you get older, one of the things that happens is you recognize that your parents are people too. And and I think sometimes it's very difficult to actually reconcile with that, depending on what they have done. That's a good point. But Iroh definitely knows his brother in a different way, right? So it makes sense that Iroh would, would try to point that out to him. Like you pointed out before, is it is frustrating to see the characters <laughs> not 
move in the right direction and it seems like Zuko is having the hardest time out of everybody to do that and even when he has this really great mentor sort of trying to guide him he's not taking any of Iroh's advice. (laughs) He starts out his first appearance in this episode is he's intimidating the villagers from the Earth Kingdom village where Aang and Katara and Sokka were and he's just being such a jerk. Yeah, I <laughs> I actually said that out loud. I went, oh, what a jerk when he pushed the guy into the house. I was like, wow, Zuko, that wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same thought. Um, I also had another thought, which was very strange, but the, the sound effect of the door opening, that sound effect was really familiar to me, which is strange for like an inconsequential sound effect. <laughs> And I was trying to think about where I had heard it before, and I actually only realized last night when I was like in bed about to fall asleep, I realized what where I'd heard it before, and it was in this video game that I used to play called The Zombinis. <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> it's a really fun game. I used to like it a lot as a kid. And uh, one of the puzzles is there's like this hotel that you stay in, and when you get the right Zambini in the right place, the door opens. And it's that sound effect. <laughs> That's interesting to me because I, I'm i not sure that Avatar used that many, like, pre-made sound effects. Like, there's a behind-the-scenes video where it shows them doing all of the sound effects in the studio. So that's... Interesting. I wonder if they did recycle <laughs> some of the sound effects in other areas. Yeah, I it made me wonder if like maybe that was just like a stock sound that is available for anyone to use. And I mean Zambinis is an old game. Zambinis is from like the 90s. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that's uh, something that is just available and people can use it. I don't know. It could be. And it was recorded back in, like, the 70s or something (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those things that it's like, will we ever know the answer to that? I don't know, but (laughs) it's interesting to think about. (laughs) Yeah, sorry for that tangent, but I just thought it was weird. (laughs) Uh, Going back to Zuko and Iroh, I did want to bring up that uh, I loved Iroh with his fan. (laughs) That was pretty great. It kind of reminded me of... Varys. It kind of reminded me of Varys from Game of Thrones. (laughs) Yes, you're right! With his fan, there was that picture that I remember that we used to use as a meme. He's kind of like, oh, just minding my business. (laughs) Yeah, he just looked so, like, casual, and while all this terrible stuff was going on around him, he was just holding this fan and being super casual. Iroh's just like, whatever, I'm unbothered, I have my fan, I'm good. (laughs) Iroh is so great. Um, We should probably talk then about this action scene because it's quite a big part of the episode. Yeah, we have the return of Zhao finally after quite a few episodes of him being absent and him just being ruthless again and how the soldiers on his ship were concerned about firing the catapult and hitting their own ship. And he was like, what? Zuka's a traitor, so if we hit him... (laughs) Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say I miss Jason Isaacs, but I did not miss Zhao. <laughs> Zhao's pretty 
awful. <laughs> He's kind of the worst. I did also want to correct myself from a previous episode, actually, on the t- topic of Jason Isaacs, which is that I said that he had an American accent in the West Wing. That is incorrect. He has an Irish accent in the West Wing. <laughs> it's been a very long time since I watched the West Wing. Yes. He's a man of many talents. He can do lots of different accents. <laughs> it's true, yeah. And as you said last time he appeared, it's hard to even tell that it's him in Avatar. Yeah, I would not have recognized his voice for the life of me. So <laughs> I think he's most iconic in his role as like Lucius Malfoy or something. So I would have recognized his British accent, but not his American one at all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think uh, same here. But yes, he's very good. Zhao is the worst. I think that'll be a reoccurring theme throughout the first season. (laughs) (laughs) Zhao is the worst. (laughs) He really is. Especially because he's like, Zuko is like an angry teenager. um, And a lot of the stuff he does, you can kind of justify with the fact that he's, you know, kind of hormonal. Right. He's only 16. Like, Zhao has no excuse. He's a grown man. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. He's just straight up evil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he he fires at uh, Zuko's ship. And then Zuko is also trying at the same time to hit Aang, right, with his catapult thing. That smells really bad, apparently. Yeah, I guess they were like sulfur rocks or something that they were Mm. setting on fire. That would make sense. Sulfur smells really bad. Yep. I felt really bad for Appa because they were kind of dependent on him during this part to not get hit by the flaming rocks. There was really not a whole lot that any of them could do in that situation. So Appa did a good job of navigating them out of that horrible situation. Yeah, he was really, really good in this episode. As you said, he had a lot to do this episode, and I feel like he did a great job. There was a really cool part, though, where the flaming rock that Zhao fired was coming straight at the gang and Aang jumped up and used his airbending to just kind of obliterate it. And I was like, wow, that was really quite a move there. (laughs) I had the thought that Aang is, uh, he's an airbender, right? And I was like, oh my God, if he uses his airbending on this fire, isn't that just going to make the fire worse? (laughs) But it was really cool how he completely broke the, the boulder. Yeah, that was some powerful bending right there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I also had another quick thought, which was just before they fire the actual catapult, I think one of the people on Zuko's ship complains about something. I don't remember what it is, but basically is saying, like, what are we doing? And it (laughs) it made me think back to that episode where Zuko's crew just, like, sells him out completely to Zhao. (laughs) <laughs> and my new theory about that is that they're just so done with him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just like, why does this kid keep doing all these ridiculous things? I mean, I can totally see that. Like, they're probably pretty low ranking because they're assigned to a banished prince. So <laughs> they're probably really fed up with him at this point. Yeah, it's a really good sequence. We get to see lots of different, I guess, uh, action you might call them set pieces if this was a movie. They show the the catapults, which is like a cool bit of technology that we hadn't seen from the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. We get to see a little bit of Aang 
airbending. There's some kind of humor in it too. I really like the part when um, there's the fish that hits Sokka in the face <laughs> and then Momo catches it. <laughs> that was cute. It kind of showed that Aang's fears were a little bit warranted because we almost lose Sokka again. Like he fell off of Appa and that was probably a really horrifying moment for all of them. But luckily Appa was there to swoop in and make sure that Sokka didn't drown. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think what Aang has to learn and what every hero really has to learn if this is Aang's superhero moment in this episode is that people get to make their own choices and you can't take on the responsibility of other people being safe by yourself. I've been thinking about that lately because I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about Peter Parker and Mary Jane talking about how, you know, uh, Spider-Man has this trait where he feels responsibility for everyone in his life who he in some way may be responsible for them getting hurt. Right. And you can't really live like that. You know, it's really difficult because it means that you're, if you're constantly trying to protect the people in your life to such a point where you won't let them be in your life, then how is that even helping anyone? Yeah. And like you said, it's, it was Sokka's choice to come along. So obviously there are going to be consequences to that. And Aang shouldn't have to take on the burden of (laughs) the responsibility of anybody getting hurt because they want to come with him on this journey and they do know that it's dangerous. So he can't protect them all the time, even though he feels like he should be able to. Exactly. Yeah, I think that ultimately that's something that is will probably come up again with the three of them. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of inevitable. And you know, the thing is also that Katara and Sokka, they also have a stake in this because they want to end this war, right? So they're also going to have to put themselves in danger. Even if Aang wasn't there, they might also be putting themselves in danger. That's true. Well, after all of that action, uh, Appa really, really needed that sleep, I feel like. (laughs) Yes, a well-deserved sleep. (laughs) It makes you wonder what happened before he got put in the iceberg, because he was so sleepy when he came out, so... uh... Well, this is probably the most action that Appa has ever seen in his life, so... (laughs) You know, he was just, he grew up at the air temple and was probably just chilling all the time, so... So he gets his rest... And then they go to the uh, the temple. Does the temple have a name? Um, I don't think so. I think the island was just called Crescent Island, so we can call it Crescent Island Temple. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is the temple that Aang needs to get into so that he can talk to Avatar Roku. But he comes across some issues with that. I just wanted to mention a little detail that I thought was really cute before they go into the temple and... They were all kind of hiding behind this rock and were spying on it and Momo's ears were sticking up behind the rock and Katara just took her hand and gently smoothed down Momo's ears. <laughs> and I just thought that was such a cute little detail. I love those little details. I think they're they're really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always fun when you notice something going on in the background that's like not the main focus of the scene, but it's just like somebody took the time to put that in there, which is cool. So yeah, so once they get in, I I really liked that introduction of the Fire Sages because they're like, Hi, we're the Fire Sages. We protect the Avatar. And Aang is like, Great! 
I am the Avatar. <laughs> that was really cute. <laughs> and then they were like, eh, well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we abandoned all of our principles in the last 100 years. <laughs> they really misled him by introducing themselves that way. Yeah, they did. How, the fire sages are kind of jerks, too. <laughs> Except for Shaiyu. <laughs> Yes, Shayu is, is, is very cool. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting actually learning about... We get a little bit of it like not long after they're first introduced, and then we get a little bit more explanation later. But this idea of how they were originally loyal to the Avatar, and then they ended up becoming more loyal to the Fire Nation. Yeah, just also the conflict within them too, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think it's a good demonstration of what can happen during the war and how loyalties can shift. And I guess you can kind of compare the fire sages maybe to like some sort of religious organization and how sometimes religion and war can, you can compromise your morals and and practices that you would normally follow during times when you're not in war (laughs) and how you can weaponize that as well. So I thought that was a really interesting aspect to this episode. That's a really good parallel because I think it certainly, we see that historically, right? That religion can and has been used as a tool to gain power or, you know, Uh, somebody who's in power uses religion as a tool to keep their power. Yeah, it makes me think almost like conquests and how people conquer other countries in the name of God or whatever. And it's like, well, (laughs) what what is your loyalty to here? It's certainly not to a God that is supposed to represent like love. (laughs) That's what this episode made me think of. Yeah, it's all about kind of manipulating things to suit you the best. Mm -hmm. And I think in the case of the Fire Sages, they sort of felt like they had to do this, I think, to survive. That's true. Because they don't really have any sort of political sway. (laughs) If they're just acting as sages, then they don't have a lot of tools to fight back if they wanted to. But I do appreciate... Shayu and his loyalty to the Avatar over his country and I think that he's extremely brave for demonstrating that because he knows what the con- the consequences are for not obeying Fire Lord Ozai because he sees what happened to Zuko who is the child of <laughs> Ozai and if that can happen to someone who's directly related to him imagine what he would do to just a stranger <laughs> yeah absolutely and we see at the end too that Zhao doesn't care who was loyal to the Fire Nation and who wasn't as long as they let the Avatar get away they're all going to be punished pretty ruthless <laughs> very ruthless So they do get some help, thankfully, after they are chased by the fire sages. They do get some help from one of them, who we already mentioned, Shayu. Very cool uh, character in this episode. And then they have to, they come across this problem, which is that they have to open the door to get to the statue of Avatar Roku. And to do that, you need all the fire sages. So it's either 
a fully realized avatar can open the door or the five fire stages. And unfortunately, Aang is not even close to being a fully realized avatar. <laughs> unfortunately, sorry, Aang. <laughs> it's okay, Aang. <laughs> You're only 12. <laughs> right, right. And you've been frozen for the past like 100 years. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> totally. Then Sokka comes up with a plan. Yes, I love Sokka's plan. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I thought this was a really good example of how Sokka as a character, he sometimes comes across as being the like not so intelligent one of the three, but he's actually quite innovative and smart. Yeah, he's really resourceful. I think he's good at sort of coming up with something out of nothing, and I like that about him a lot. He's able to come up with solutions, even when faced with situations he's never dealt with before. And I like that he's not just this comic relief character. (laughs) He adds a lot to the gang, and I think they would really be lost without Sokka. Yeah, I think so too. He's almost a Ron Weasley in a way, now Mm. that I'm thinking about it, because he kind of brings a different perspective I like that, because you know Ron is my favorite. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) So I really like that comparison. Yeah, I mean, there is a a kind of a trio thing going on with Harry Potter and with Avatar, right? Because we have Aang, Katara, and Sokka, and then we have Harry, Hermione, and Ron. And I don't think they all parallel exactly, especially Harry and Aang are not alike at all. But but I think there are some parallels there. And uh, yeah, I feel like Sokka is a bit of a Ron Weasley, maybe. Yeah, I can totally see that. Definitely, like you said, with a different, bringing a different perspective to the group, I think is really important. And I do think that Sokka has had to maybe compensate a little bit for not having those bending abilities which in some aspects is is really difficult for him and is a weakness, but in other aspects it's definitely a strength because where others might rely on bending, Sokka's like, well, I can come up with a different solution. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's also to do with his being raised um, as he was in a very like isolated area and with not a lot of technology. Yeah. He probably was able to come up with, like you said, coming up with something from nothing. I feel like that's probably a result of not having a lot to work with, maybe. And also not having, like, really a parental figure around and just having to fend for himself. We love Sokka. <laughs> yeah, he's really good, yeah. I I definitely have a growing appreciation for Sokka. Not that I didn't like him. I liked him from the first episode, but I feel like it's definitely growing as the episodes go by. I also really thought it was cute when he puts his plan into action and he's hugging Katara's legs. That was a really cute detail, definitely. Unfortunately, his plan doesn't work. I mean, some of the best plans fall through, so... But Katara does realize the potential of what they did and she puts a new plan into action, which is really cool. Yeah, I thought you had a really interesting insight about their different ways of approaching problems. So do you want to talk about that? Sure. I wrote that Sokka comes up with technical and methodical solutions, whereas Katara appeals more to the human side and is great at figuring people out. So I think she recognized, well, we can use this to our advantage and 
I don't want to say manipulate because I don't know manipulate has a bad connotation to me <laughs> but she used the situation to her advantage and realized that she could trick the fire sages. I think manipulate is right even though it does have a, a negative connotation but I think that it's you know she could use it in a bad way if she wanted to just having an understanding of people I think allows you to manipulate them for either a positive or a negative way. And uh, yeah, and I really like that uh, contrast between the two of them. So I think it's really insightful how you pointed out that Katara is, is able to, to see other people and see what will work to convince other people. I think there was a part before this that we need to talk about that you pointed out that Aang we finally see some frustration from Aang. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because Aang, you know, he's so often portrayed as this very peaceful and, uh, you know, that Buddhist kind of type of character. Mm -hmm. And happy-go-lucky, too. Like, even if the situation is rough, he's like, well, we can find a positive out of this. Absolutely, yeah, but when Sokka's plan doesn't work, he really gets frustrated, and he acts like a child in that moment in kind of a negative way, you know? He's just sort of like, what's the point? This isn't going to work. Yeah, he definitely doesn't keep a level head in this situation where he normally does, and I thought that was interesting, and I liked it because we're getting to see some flaws in Aang and how he does need Katara and Sokka because they can make up for some of his weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's boring to have a a hero who's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that people complain about sometimes with some superheroes like Superman, which I think that's debatable. <laughs> Not a debate that I'm going to go into right now, especially because I don't know Superman that well. But... I think that it's really important for people to be able to identify with any kind of heroic figure. And that's really a point of identification where you're just like, oh, this is really, really frustrating. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can definitely identify with Aang on that. And I think at this point, he's desperate because he doesn't know what he's doing. And Roku is really the only clue he has into what his future is supposed to look like so at this point he's just freaking out (laughs) which is understandable yeah yeah completely understandable and he's yeah he's just had this vision and he doesn't really know what it means so he wants some knowledge but I do like that even though he has that moment of frustration and lashing out that He still has compassion at the end of it and says, I'm sorry I put you through all this for nothing. I like that he recognizes that "Mm, this probably wasn't the best way to (laughs) handle this situation. Yeah, that's true. You do get to see that compassion as well, which is really nice. And then we, we get to see, so Katara puts her plan in action, which does kind of work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except there are a few little snags in what happens including the fact that Zuko captures Aang very briefly but yes (laughs) yeah I actually gasped when he came out from behind the pillar with Aang because I had forgotten about that reveal and I thought that was a really 
good reveal, the way that was animated. Yeah, I did too. I was very surprised when it happened. Obviously, I haven't seen it before. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he's he's captured him. So yeah, I thought that was a really nicely done reveal as well. Yeah, I kind of laughed because Zuko still hasn't learned not to underestimate Aang. <laughs> and Aang breaks free from him pretty easily. It's kind of a consistent thing with Zuko at this point, is that he's really not listening to other people's advice, and he's not learning from his mistakes. Yeah, so Aang gets away from Zuko, and then he does some gymnastics <laughs> and jumps on the heads of the fire sages, which I thought was pretty funny, and manages to make it through the door to talk to Roku. I really like that scene too. And it actually worked out for the best for him because he managed to squeak in just as the doors closed, which is good because then he had the doors closed for when he was talking to Roku, so. Nobody else managed to get in, which was good. Yeah, that was a really fun little uh, acrobatic scene. <laughs> it was very good. So he goes into the, the room and after a little bit of waiting, he manages to talk to Roku. Yeah, Roku immediately is like one of the first thing he says is what took you so long rude i was like oh my gosh dude like you have no idea what's been going on behind the scenes here have some appreciation for his struggle roku <laughs> yeah he uh he doesn't really seem to care about that but he does tell uh ang about a few things some very important things some heavy things <laughs> i gasped when he revealed what the comet is. I love that reveal. It's it just makes everything all the more pertinent and <laughs> it's it adds this extra layer to everything that's going on because now Aang has a time frame in which he needs to learn bending. Like before he kind of could set his own timeline and and go at his own pace, but now there's this urgency. <laughs> to learning all of the elements. Yeah, it's a good way to really speed up the plot, I think, putting this time limit on. I mean, it also teaches us a little bit about how the war started, yes. which we get this actually earlier in the episode, um, but we learn that the, the first Fire Lord who started the war was Fire Lord Sozin, and he did so with a comet. This was 100 years ago, so I'm guessing he's like, Ozai's like, great-grandfather? I think it's his grandfather. Oh, okay, so it's not even that. Yeah, I mean, I guess people live for a long time, so. This was the beginning of the war, and now another comet is coming which could end the war, right? If Fire Lord Ozai is able to use it. Yeah, so there's this implication that the comet is what wiped out the airbenders because they say it's the first weapon and the first strike that the Fire Nation used against the other benders. Yeah, that would make sense. Although they did have in the uh, Southern Air Temple, there were like a bunch of helmets, which did imply that there were people there. Well, the comet isn't actually like a weapon. It's just it enhances firebending. So the firebenders are more powerful when the, the comet comes. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes sense. That kind of presents us with this dilemma, which is that if the comet were to come again, that 
the Fire Nation could really end the war because they could use it to wipe out everyone else. And yeah, and then so we have this ticking time bomb now, which is that Aang needs to master all four elements by the end of the summer. It's the first day of winter because it's the winter solstice, so we kind of get this finite time frame. (laughs) Yeah, when I first watched it, I wasn't really thinking about the fact that it was the winter solstice, and I was just like, I don't know why, but I was thinking about like what time it is now, and I was thinking, but we're already in the summer. How is he going to do that? (laughs) Oh, that's cute. (laughs) It's still not a lot of time, even from winter to summer, but it's a little bit more than... What I was imagining. It is nuts, though, because normally, like Roku said, the avatars have years and years to master all four elements, and they kind of start at age 16 is when they really start to hone those skills. So Aang is already starting off four years (laughs) behind the curve, and now he's only got like half a year to to do what avatars would normally do in the span of a long, long time. Yeah, and Roku makes it sound like it's going to be easy. Like, he's like, (laughs) I believe in you. You can do it. He's like, you did this in a past life. You got this. It's like, okay, Roku. First of all, he needs a master for every element. And where is he going to find a master? (laughs) Especially for firebending. Like, that's definitely going to be an issue because the firebenders are presumably all against him so yes exactly and then the airbenders have all wiped been wiped out um they don't say this yet but when you get the tattoos that's a sign that you have mastered airbending oh okay so he's already he's already got okay so that's not too bad he has you know one down (laughs) three to go 25 (laughs) percent But yeah, and also waterbending. I mean, I guess we don't know, you know, in the northern water tribe, if there's like a master there. In the southern water tribe, there was only Katara. Right. I think earthbending would probably be the easiest one to find, but still, (laughs) it's not an easy task. And also, he is meant to master the avatar state as the avatar as well. So I guess you could even count that as... A fifth element <laughs> so maybe not 25% maybe he's only about 10% ready <laughs> oh god poor Aang and Roku's just like casually telling him I think Roku needs a greater appreciation for the fact that um, not everyone is dead I think Roku is just trying to be optimistic which is easy to do when you are dead so <laughs> exactly like, his his fate doesn't hinge on this whatsoever, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why does he care? I mean, apart from the fact that, like, Aang is sort of him. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Fun times for Aang. <laughs> and then on top of that, he's now got to figure out how to get out of the room that he's in when basically everyone has showed up outside the door, including Zhao at this point. He didn't fall for Zuko's trick. (laughs) No, I thought that, I mean, I guess I kind of get it, but the smokescreen thing, it seemed kind of pointless to me because the only purpose, I guess, was to slightly delay his arrival. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it didn't really have much of an impact on the story because they were just like, 
Oh yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> I was really thinking about this bullet point when I when I read your notes and I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think that as a longtime viewer, Suko's failure in this plan makes a lot of sense thematically. And there is some immediate payoff in the very next episode where the smokescreen thing comes back to bite him in the butt. <laughs> But in the long term, to me, it really enhances and cements his character flaws. So like for this episode in particular, it shows that he's extremely bad at sussing out people's weaknesses and exploiting them. Unlike the gang who's able to figure out how the fire sages are easily tricked. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I also think the show is really trying to hammer down the idea that he's an incompetent villain. <laughs> right. So I feel like life is constantly trying to throw Zuko a bone and he's not taking it. Like, we've seen him make a couple of morally sound decisions so far when he spares Zhao's life and the Agni Kai and when he chooses to save Iroh instead of going after Aang. And those are the only times when he has succeeded and actually come out in a better position than he had been in the first place. So I think his failure in this episode is just another demonstration of his failure as a villain. And that's kind of what I took away from the smokescreen thing. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm coming at it obviously from a perspective of I've not seen the whole show. Right. So for me, it didn't feel like it served a purpose within the narrative. And I feel like in a 20 minute show, everything that happens needs to serve a purpose, right? Because you have so little time within this 20 minute format. And even if that purpose is just like character development, it needs to serve a purpose. But I think with your explanation, I can see how it's more of a character development thing. And obviously you wouldn't get that just from this episode alone and only haven't seen a handful of episodes so I like that we we have both perspectives here <laughs> yeah I agree I think it's really good to be able to have the perspective of somebody who has uh got the big picture it helps me understand certain parts of the story better that was my uh shower thoughts this morning <laughs> <laughs> Showers are a great place to have thoughts. <laughs> I think Iroh would agree. <laughs> <laughs> or he would agree that showers, but maybe for him it would be um, hot baths. Yes. <laughs> where he does his thinking. As we've established, Aang is in a bit of a pickle. There's even that little line where Katara and Sokka are talking, and Katara's like, how is Aang going to get out of this? And Sokka says, how are we going to make it out of this? <laughs> Uh, that's just another really quick line that demonstrates their characters perfectly. <laughs> very true, very true. Because Katara is always thinking of others. And Sokka does think of others, but at the same time, he's like, well, if I die, then like... <laughs> that's not going to be fun for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so thankfully, Roku has a bit of a solution to help out Aang, which is he helps Aang go into the Avatar state, which... Quick note on the Avatar state, because it hasn't come up for a while. <laughs> Before we, I even knew what it was, I had said that it was something about communing with the ancestral plane, which turned out to be more correct than I could have anticipated. Um, but I couldn't remember where I got that phrase from. 
because it was very specific, and I realized <laughs> not long afterwards that I totally stole it from Black Panther. When T'Challa becomes Black Panther, he does this thing where he communes with the ancestral plane and uh, <laughs> talks to his dad. The spirit world in Black Panther, to me, is a lot prettier and nicer than the spirit world in Avatar. <laughs> I totally agree. It's beautiful in Black Panther. It's like, I just want to, like, hang out there. Yeah. I don't think I would want to hang out in the Avatar spirit world, because there are no bathrooms, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Asaka, I think, would agree with you. Uh, so, yeah, um, Avatar State. But this Avatar State is a little bit different. He actually becomes Roku, right? Right. Yeah, it's interesting, because we have not seen that power demonstrated yet. And also, it's the first time that we see Aang talk in the Avatar state, even though it's only a really short line. I like the way they have this sort of layered voice acting where it's Aang's voice, but then this background voice to kind of demonstrate that it's not just Aang that's talking, it's all of his past lives as well. Yeah, that's a cool little detail that I didn't notice until you just pointed it out. You also wanted to talk a little bit about what happens just before this, right? Yeah, so there's a reoccurring chant that happens throughout the show, and it shows up several times. And it's the Buddhist chant, Namu Ami Tufu Shin Di. And I can talk a little bit about what that means. So I'm just looking because I'm not well-versed on this and I don't want to get it wrong, but it's a chant that Buddhists say to purify their heart and soul. And it, it means I bow to the infinite light. So I really like that aspect and how they brought the Buddhist culture into this. And it also reminded me of Mulan, <laughs> because there's a part in Mulan that's really not as serious as Avatar, but Yao is angry at Mulan because I think she, like, slaps him on the butt or something because she's trying to prove she's a man and is taking Mushu's really terrible advice about that. <laughs> and Qian Po is like, calm down, Yao. Do this chant with me, and they're like, "Namu Amitabhushanti." <laughs> they utilize the chant in probably a way that might be offensive to Buddhists, <laughs> but in Avatar, they really do take it seriously, and I I like that a lot. Yeah, I really like that too. It also makes me want to rewatch Mulan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it for a while. Um, I really like the inclusion of this and learning that it's something that is reoccurring and it's not super obvious, but again, it's this small detail that I think is really nice to see because it adds to like the richness of the world. It happens, I think, one more time in season one, so that's something to look out for. I will. Um, I actually missed it the first time and then I had to go <laughs> back and, and, and look again. So, Aang... As Avatar Roku, the artist formerly known as Aang. <laughs> <laughs> Avatar Roku featuring Aang. <laughs> they managed to defeat the Fire Nation people. 
and he actually like blows a hole in the whole fire temple and destroys it. I didn't think about this until now, but it's kind of like, well, these people betrayed me and this temple is being used for a purpose that <laughs> is not okay. So it was Roku destroying the temple as a symbol, kind of like you're supposed to be loyal to the Avatar and you weren't. So bye-bye temple. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think about it that way either, but yeah, it's, it's probably has something to do with it, which is unfortunate for Shayu, I guess. Yeah. And then ultimately, you know, as we talked about, they all get taken by Zhao, who doesn't really care about who was loyal to the Fire Nation or not. I think Zhao is just he leads a lot with his emotions and he's really angry right now because not only did Aang get away but he had captured Zuko as well and now Zuko got away too so he's like well gotta take my anger out on somebody. (laughs) This is one case of where you're like don't follow your heart (laughs) Joe. Right. (laughs) The way this episode ends I thought was really beautiful and really uh, different to anything we've seen before because it's this this very peaceful moment. There's no dialogue, but you just get Sokka and Katara embracing Aang, who looks kind of crestfallen, and that's it. That's, you know, that's all that the moment needs. Yeah, and it's very quick, but like you said, sometimes those moments of show don't tell and everything being portrayed through the animation is really effective and that was definitely one of those moments I thought it was such a beautiful scene the way it was framed with their silhouettes yeah I agree I like that a lot um yeah and the moon in the background just giving that little bit of light and then just their embrace was a beautiful way to to end things and it's ending things on kind of a sad note because it's kind of a sad realization that Aang has come to. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's very crushing to think that the the fate of the world really hinges on his ability to learn this bending in a very short span of time, which can't be easy <laughs> at all. No. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll we'll see how he goes about that in the next few episodes. Um, but uh, he will at least have Katara and Sokka and Momo and Appa with him. <laughs> yes. Yes, so that rounds us off. And then we're not left on a cliffhanger really this time, but we do have a kind of an impetus to move us into the next few episodes, which is I imagine Aang is going to be panicking. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but I can't blame him for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would be too. So That brings us to our little awards that we give out. Yeah. Do you want to do MVP first this time? Sure. I, I have kind of an idea, but I think it's, I cemented it by talking to you throughout this podcast. And I am going to go with uh, Shayu as my MVP. Oh, cool. Because I really liked how he took a stand against his other fire sages. And I 
thought that without him, Aang wouldn't have been able to do anything that he did in this episode. So he really saved the day in terms of Katara and Sokka and Aang and yeah, and just being able to get to what they needed to do. Awesome. Unfortunately, Shayu does not come back, actually. <laughs> no! He comes back in the in the comics, but he doesn't come back in the show. I think he's just imprisoned for the entirety of the show, which is really unfortunate. Especially because we do get to see a glimpse into Fire Nation prisons in the future, and they are not good places at all. <laughs> so. I'm so surprised. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely strange to not have a kind of prominent character come back, but at least he he did a lot in this episode and really helped the gang out. Yeah, well, that's another reason to give him MVP then, so he... He, he gets his moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he deserves his moment. So what about you? Who was your MVP? <laughs> it's kind of a weird one, but I'm gonna go with Appa for this episode. Oh! <laughs> because not only at the beginning, like we talked about, he refused to go without Katara and Sokka. He also navigated them through the catapult. And at the end, he also saved them when the temple was kind of being blown apart. He swooped in at the last minute and got them. And I, I thought that Appa deserve the title for this episode. <laughs> I agree with you. That's a really good uh, MVP choice. It's funny because we started out always having the same MVP, and now I feel like we've gone like three episodes where we've had different MVPs. <laughs> it's good, though. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so then should we move on to most memorable moment? Sure. Um, I really couldn't pick anything other than the last scene. Yeah, that was gonna be my pick too <laughs> <laughs> well there you go do we need to talk about it more i don't think so i think it's pretty self-explanatory <laughs> a great moment of show don't tell as we talked about and yeah just really beautiful animation too i think it's also worth shouting out that uh, it's an example of what you can do in animation mm, yeah that uh, is really striking visually all right so we leave off this episode on a slightly bittersweet note, I think. What do we have to look forward to next week, Rach? I am very excited for you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so next week is episode nine, The Waterbending Scroll. And I'm excited for a couple of reasons because it's a very Katara-centric episode again. And there are pirates. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, for those who don't know, pirates are one of Rebecca's favorite things. So. <laughs> <laughs> they are one of my favorite things. I don't really know why, but I've always liked them. I think probably since I watched like Pirates of the Caribbean when I was a teenager. Maybe even before that. Yeah, pirates are fun. I love the show Black Sails, which if you haven't watched, please watch Black Sails. It's a great show. Maybe only watch Black Sails if you're like over 18 and listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yes. I just, I really like pirates. So I'm very excited. And also looking forward to maybe some more waterbending because of the name of the episode. It definitely ties into the whole idea of Aang 
needing a water bending teacher and where are they gonna find that so some cool stuff coming up <laughs> excellent i'm looking forward to that very much let's wrap up this thing <laughs> if you would like to follow us on twitter we are at ember sayers and we post uh, graphics which Rach makes of our MVP and we also try to retweet some fun avatar stuff and it's a good place to get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Yeah, we also have an email that you can contact emberislandsayers at gmail.com for any comments, suggestions, or questions. Yes, and we are available on Spotify, on um, Apple Podcasts, if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you would give us a review and a five-star rating. That would be super awesome. I also actually just added us to Stitcher this week. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! So if that's something that you are interested in, then you can find us on Stitcher. And with that, I wanted to say thank you, everybody, for listening. And stay flaming. Stay flaming, everyone. <laughs> And so when I watched the episode, I was like, I wonder what it is that she thought of that referenced Mulan. And the only thing that I could think of was at one point, I think it's when they're opening the door, they go, huh. <laughs> Be a man. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly what I thought of.